Hello, and welcome to the season finale of the Vigilante Book Club. If you're joining us for the first time, I assume you're the kind of person who reads the last page of a book before starting, and frankly, you people terrify me. The Vigilante contains violence of all kinds, and we swear like pirates. Yafuckos. He suddenly realized that he didn't have a doctor in town. Sarah had been to one, but he doubted that a gynecologist would relish this kind of work. Oh my god. <laughs> but he's used to dealing with slits. <laughs> Please don't use that. Please don't use that. <laughs> we'll absolutely be using that. Holy fucking shit balls it's the end we're at the end you're talking about the book right i don't know life world the world is the universe the apocalypse whatever it is i'm exhausted by it yeah no here we are holy shit um buds we we're at the finale we're at the season finale of our first season of our first podcast ever we're gonna finish this book off today this has been a wild ride farron can we assume you're naked Oh, well, wait, I didn't know we were supposed to be naked the whole time. Well, I thought we've also assumed you have been naked this whole time. Yeah, you did say that you would be naked the whole time. I forgot that was canon. You're right. I've been naked the whole time. (laughs) Oh, great. What a weird (laughs) journey to take us on if you were just naked the whole time. (laughs) I just um, forgot about uh, my life. You're so naked all the time you forget that you're naked. I just don't even know. It's like I'm wearing something because I'm always naked. All that body hair. When I put clothes on, I feel different. Naked. Well, I would say that's when I'm naked. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's complicated. It's very complicated. Okay. Like, put clothes on and someone walks in and you screech. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> I'm naked. <laughs> there was something I was having a conversation yesterday. And I was just sort of thinking about, you know, how it's interesting that the end of our season the end of this book is syncing up with the end of this year so there's like a lot to mm. kind of look back on it feels kind of uh timely how the uh the, this you know book and our experiences lined up with the end of this year and we're having uh, a lot of the sentiment that i've been hearing this year has been like i hate 2020 like 2020 is the worst year ever um fuck 2020 can't wait to leave it behind do you remember how we all hate it 2016? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it happens every damn year. Yes, it does. Since 2016. Yeah. I remember there were so many memes and everyone was talking about how like it was it was the year's fault. Like everyone just yeah. kept blaming oh, yeah. the number 2016 on all the bad things that were happening. We lost Prince and David Bowie and Trump got elected and there were Brexit and police shootings and terror attacks, even though that sounds like this year all over again. But um, although we didn't lose David Bowie again. I lose David Bowie every fucking day. He keeps coming back. Um, what is that thing? What is that thing that we do? This, this scapegoating or this, this, um, anthropomorphizing a calendar year as the, uh, source of our problem. I don't like it. Yeah. And at New Year's, it'll like, we can leave it behind and, and like somehow magically it'll be different. I feel like it's something that makes us feel like we have some control, like there's some order in the world. I feel like it's our response to our powerlessness. I think it's where religion gets its draw. It's where even like spirituality, like that there is something bigger than us that has control over everything, because I think it's a bit too enormous to feel like we're completely powerless to things. Yeah, I think we're really drawn to the idea of like ends and beginnings and really drawn to the idea of making something metaphorically significant at the same time. It has time. to make sense somehow. Yeah, and I, I kind of get it. You know, you can't just start doing your New Year's resolutions on December 12th because that doesn't happen till the 1st and you need New Year's Eve to happen and stuff like that. But at the same time, I feel like it holds us back. And to reflect uh, what you're saying there, Kayvon, that it's a scapegoat. It's just time. Uh-huh. Yeah, what worries me about the this habit and 
I, I was looking back and I think I was a part of the 2016 bandwagon where I was like, yeah, I'm angry about, I'm angry at 2016. I was like, something's, something's unusual about this year and I can't wait to leave it behind. And, and then it's like, what the problem about that is you're not solving the problem or addressing you're, you're, you go, okay, I'm just going to slap a sticker on that. Say it's this, it's a calendar year's fault. There was just bad juju in the air and uh, I'm just going to move forward and it's going to get better. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this, um, it's, yeah, it's religious. It's, it's, it feels faith-based. We're just watching, you know, uh, the evolution of actions, you know, like 2016 is, we're all mad about 2016 and being like terror attacks and police shootings and Trump. It's like, yeah, it didn't stop. <laughs> You no, know, it yeah. did, we we didn't go, oh, good, it's 2017 now, so that's over. It's like, no, clearly it kept happening, and it's going to keep happening. It has nothing to do whether the Roman calendar ends. I hate kind of giving power to arbitrary constructs, because you just said it. It's the Roman calendar. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's a construct created thousands of years ago. I don't know why, because it meant something to them at the time, but it's impossible that it would actually have significant meaning emotionally or spiritually at all. I think I want to hit home is that it puts responsibility on someone or something else. Yeah. Like that it's, oh God, 2016 was brutal. My boyfriend broke up with me and gave me herpes. It's like, well, no, no, <laughs> that was something that like you were a part of. <laughs> well, like, 2016 did yes. suck actually. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a rough breakup too. What are you not telling us? <laughs> I've got something for you. It's a goodbye gift. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll always have it with yeah. you. Think of it like a treat uh, bag. Also sets you up for disappointment, too, because I am i don't know much about the future, my friends. I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm pretty sure January 1st is going to have something to do with COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not over. It's not going to no. end. And um, health crises are probably going to permeate further in our future. Um, you know, it's just... And like the rise of the angry right and fascism is certainly not over because the election, this election is, you know, theoretically gone one way. Like that is, it's an indication that that sort of uh, vitriol hatred and growing fascist globally, uh, a rise of trending fascism, it's just going to keep going. It's not going to, we're not going to leave it in 2020 in some sort of time capsule. Yeah, it makes me anxious when someone's like, oh, I can't wait for this year to be over and we can start fresh. And it's like, oh, OK, well, what are you going to do personally to ensure that there is change? And what because, are you waiting for? Because it's not buying a new horsey calendar that doesn't have any marks on it. You know, like <laughs> you have to do that. It's a, it's our personal responsibility to then ensure that you want to have a different kind of experience of the world. I don't know. For this reason, I don't get very excited about New Year's at all. New Year's is a, such a... It's funny. So from the Persian perspective, um, our New Year's, which makes so much more sense to me, is the first day of spring. That makes sense to me. Oh, I change season. Yeah. Renewal. And it's a, it's a yeah. renewal. It's actually echoing what the world, the, the, the na natural world is doing, which is sort of a, re a rebirthing, a resetting and a budding. I always think that, so I was like, sense. oh, that makes a lot of sense. And it's a nice... Um, it's a nice celebration that lives in tandem to something bigger than a calendar. It's actually the natural world. Um, I've never understood the arbitrary, uh, right in the dead smack of fucking winter mm -hmm. where, where nothing, nothing changes. changes. It's mm -hmm. like, okay. Looks like Christmas is over. Might as well start a new year. That all said, mini little reflection, because it is the calendar we work with. Uh, it's It's been, it is, has been an incredible nine months i'd say like since mm, about yeah. march i feel like was then it became very clear that we were going into a different um a different course like everyone's lives just hit the hit a detour gotta hit the stop sign and, and shift it so it's been an it's been an incredible i'd say nine months and i use the word incredible negatively and positively but i have to say out of all the things though i'm really grateful that we wouldn't have made this show we wouldn't have come together in this mm -hmm. way if we hadn't have been, you know, thrown all these obstacles. So I absolutely agree. Definitely. Yeah, when you called, you were like, Are you interested in doing this thing? I was like, yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Please, Let's absolutely anything. do that. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yes, I, I'll be there. <laughs> you don't even have to ask. Just tell me where to go. Thank you, 2020, for giving this, uh, this present 
Thank you, time. Yeah, thank you, 2020. Thank you, time, for not killing me and bringing me closer to my friends. Aw, you son of a bitch. Last week on The Vigilante, Joe Madden has a quiet Sunday in which he bids a final goodbye to Gene and Dan, has the totally normal revelation that he's an angel of God, and ends the evening by hiding in a bush. And now, chapter 15. Mary Gaylord had known better, of course. <laughs> I'm so sorry, but... I know. We shouldn't laugh. It's a real name. It's, it's a, a real, real name. name. It's a real name. Yep. But why choose it like that? Why start a chapter like that? Mary Gaylord had known better, of course, but she was in a hurry. The last thing Alex Brent had told her this afternoon when he telephoned was, Now don't you dare be late. She wasn't used to hopping when a man issued an order, but Alex Brent's order, delivered in the most humorous of tones, was something else again. That was because she wanted nothing more than to receive orders issued by Alex Brent for the rest of their natural lives. Ew. What? Well, she obviously, she wants to marry Alex Brent to just get rid of her last name. <laughs> She's any, anyone, please. Alex Brent, PhD, Columbia. Cultural anthropology was his trade, and tonight he was lecturing at a special meeting at the Museum of Natural History. She'd have liked nothing more than to hear his lecture, but she'd had studying of her own to do. Economics, in which she was striving for her masters. She should have known better about that, too. She'd spent all the time she should have spent at the books trying on dress after dress and discarding each as not suitable. Alex Brent, of course, had recognized that her study time was valuable, but she could picture his face over the phone, his eyes bugging out from his black face in mock horror as he told her, "'You be late, girl, and I got problems.' All my audience takes off at ten, and there I'll be, in that place with all them skeleton bones. <sighs> What's happening? I also really like how hard you leaned away from doing yes. a black impersonation in reading that. <laughs> Do you want me to try the other way? I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I, I'll do it. <laughs> I sense no, that please you don't. <laughs> She'd left her apartment in what had seemed plenty of time, except she hadn't figured on the cabs. There weren't any. None with the vacant sign lighted anyway. She waited, pouting on the corner of 81st and 5th, for ten full minutes, at the end of which she was beginning to think that the devil himself was conspiring to lose her her man. <laughs> That's what the devil has time to do, for sure. The park, short and direct, and plenty of time before ten. Still, what made up her mind was the man. She was mid-block between 80th and 79th when she saw him, going into the 79th entrance of the park. He was wearing a light raincoat and seemed well-dressed and well-groomed. If he was going through... She quickened her step. There was safety in numbers, at least there was supposed to be. If she could walk through the park close behind another person, especially a man who looked as if he might be able to take care of himself in case of trouble, whoever might otherwise think her to be easy pickings might have another thought about trying. But when her almost running gait brought her inside the confines of the park, she couldn't see the man up ahead. He, too, probably was walking fast. She didn't blame him at all. Not at all. She walked as fast as she could, cursing the uncomfortable but fashionable shoes, which were made for anything but walking fast. But she tried, hoping to catch up to the very man she could not know was himself, cursing her for moving as fast as she was. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> right. So it's Joe Madden, and he ducked away into the woods, so she thinks he's ahead of her, and he's behind her, going like, Jesus, she's going fast. This was a game changer in the literary world. Yeah, he was like, I'm changing everything. I'm gonna make writing bad again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she hurried down the East Drive, then almost jumped at the sudden sight of Cleopatra's needle looking up to her right. How does an almost jump work? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, try and jump, but imagine you have mag magnets on your feet. I'll just give me one sec. And, and remember, everybody, he's he's naked. 
He's naked That's while he right. tries this. Yeah. So and there's you hear that slap? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so many things that have to happen for you to almost jump. You're like, I'm going to jump now. Slap. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of centrifugal force there. (laughs) Uh, I'm glad we... Farron lives in Edmonton. Gravity's a bit different there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then almost jumped at the sudden sight of Cleopatra's needle looking up to her right. Calm. Calm, she told herself. You're almost halfway through. It wasn't true, and she knew it. Thus the lie didn't help much at all. Where the hell was that man? If he was up ahead of her, he had to be, she'd see him soon. Just ahead and to the left would soon be the new lake. There, for a long stretch, the pathway was almost as straight as an arrow. She might not be able to catch up with him, but just seeing him might be reassuring enough to... It happened then. The first indication of its happening was her sudden difficulty in breathing. It took two of her now rapid heartbeats to realize that the cause of her breathing problem was a human hand, a hand which had snaked around her from behind, a hand which held her mouth closed tight, a hand which was now joined by its mate, this other hand around her waist, half lifting, half dragging her off to the right of the pathway. Unquestionably, that's, that is a very terrifying experience and a, a terrifying uh, assault that's happening to this woman. But I, I just really have to point out VJ's uh, mysterious uh, journeys into anything happening is uh, <laughs> can you imagine someone puts their hand over your face and your first thought is, I'm having problems breathing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hang on, why can't I breathe? I'll try again. Oh, oh, it's a hand. There's a hand on my face. Like... <laughs> Yeah, that was my first thought. What oxygen? Where did the oxygen go? <laughs> oh, it's a hand. Oh, the hand. Oh, on it's my... a hand. Oh, now there's one on my waist. Oh, are we dancing? No, I'm being dragged <laughs> in the woods. <laughs> Am I figure skating? Yeah, where's the other hand? Is this a one, a single rogue hand? Oh, no, there it is on my waist. And then as she gets lifted, she's like, hey, hang on. Where'd gravity go? <laughs> and Farron's like, I know, I'm in Edmonton. and We've got very bad. <laughs> You're fucking telling me. That's actually what's happening is this guy saw her try to jump and he was like, she needs help jumping. <laughs> I'll oh. give her a hand. I'll give her two hands. <laughs> it's really thoughtful. Inside, she was screaming her lungs out, but nothing could break through that fierce clamp over her mouth. A little mini experiment, Farron, since you're uh, being our lab rat. Can you try and scream your lungs out inside, but hold your hand over your mouth? Yep. That's pretty pretty good. I tried to keep it in, but some had to come out because this is a podcast. Oh, Give us right. a true not for podcasts internal screen. Yeah, stop showing us. Just yeah. do. What was that? Did you fart? <laughs> no, that was an internal no, scream with my all my lungs. Because she's not like screaming, screaming, right? It's an internal scream. I think this is what it would it would sound like. Mm-hmm. Is it happening? Yeah, it happened. Oh, oh, I like. I think Farron's right. We have to give make it podcast friendly. Well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> Fucking 2020 strikes again. Yeah. Oh, this year just won't let up. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This year will not let me get an erection. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the quiet thing that you've not shared yet. It's like, oh, 2020 is the worst. I lost so much work. Yeah, I haven't been hard since March. <laughs> Holy fuck, that's funny. That for an entire year, whenever you didn't get an erection, you're like, oh, Obviously, this is time related. <laughs> You're just <laughs> New Year's ten nine. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Slap. <laughs> Wait, was the slap it gl- dropping? No, hitting, getting, hitting the abdomen. Get like just <laughs> yeah. Ripping through pants and underwear. Oh, I'm sorry. I was, I was at last New Year's Eve. I, I was actually imagining this person had an erection while they were counting down, and then it died right on the 
<laughs> oh yeah. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's in like in like a lamb, out like a lion. So yeah, at the, at the beginning of 2020, it just like slapped down. He was like, oh, 2020 is going to be the worst year. <laughs> oh my be a fucking bad god! Year. That is a bad omen. That's like the groundhog of of erections. Except everybody else at that same New Year's party is very grateful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, now that it's down, could you please put your pants back on? Yeah, everyone else was like, 2019 was the year that Drew was hard the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) So they've been like, Holy shit. And then the voice. Don't struggle, doll, or you're dead. There was a sudden click as she saw there was another of them, this one brandishing a long, thin knife. How small he looks! But that first thought was cancelled when the point of the knife touched the surface of the fur coat directly over her left breast. You listen good, miss, the one with the knife hissed, then to the unseen one who still was dragging her backward. Where are you taking her, man? A hushed answer. Back into the thick trees. Keep out of my way, damn it. Oh, God, they're going to kill me. And then she was pulled down to the ground. The hand still was clasped firmly around her mouth. Bandana, the one behind her said. And now she saw a third member of the assault group. Another young, small, black. No, I didn't like hearing it. It's also like, we're in her perspective, dude. Pretty sure she's not going to be quantifying these people like that. I, I have been finding it just a touch hard to follow. It feels a little jumpy that way. So he's writing in her perspective. And so I'm like 100% sure she's not going to go, ooh, look out. Here comes another young, small black. Yeah, you're right. She has VJ's voice now. He can't separate his, his racism even when he's trying to write from another perspective. He, too, had a knife in his hand, but with the other, he was pulling from his pocket a large red and white bandana. He handed it over her head, and then she found out what the bandana was for. No sound, came the warning from behind her as the hand whipped from her mouth. Even before she could inhale deeply, the bandana was in its place, tight in place, so tight that the front of it was cutting the edges of her mouth, and the knot which was tied behind was digging painfully into the place where her head met her neck. A quick tug on the knot dropped her back flat to the earth. They stood over her. Her wildly shifting eyes could take them all in now. There weren't three of them as she had thought, but four. All black all kids. She had one more surprise coming. Kill her now, said one of them who was a girl, a scowling girl, no more than fifteen or sixteen. Kill her and let's get out of here. There ain't no hurry, whispered the leader, the biggest of them, the one who had grabbed her. And keep your mouth quiet. I want the coat, okay? The girl asked. Hell no. The coat we sell, Maybe gets us fifty or sixty bucks. Fifty or sixty dollars. She was going to die for that much? And the coat had cost two hundred thirty. Oh, for fuck's sake. Sixty dollars? Come on, it's worth more than that. She, she is just so insulted in this moment about them not appreciating the value of her purchase. <laughs> Excuse me, this was like 230 so... It makes sense that you would kill me for this, but please yeah. sell it for an appropriate amount. Yeah, I'm just saying, when you go to the store, just let them know the brand, because it's more than sixty dollars. So. <laughs> the purse, then. I get the purse... The big boy nodded. Yeah, maybe, after we see what all is in it, okay? Hey, Eddie, I think we should just cut her and take off with the coat and purse and that ring, the amendment the girl put on to the smallest of the knife carrier's suggestion. But Eddie, obviously the tall one, shook his head slowly, smiling down at their captive. You a nice-looking chick, you know. Real rich-looking stuff. I never had me a piece of rich-looking stuff before. There was another click. The girl now held a knife of her own, and it was coming in dangerously close to Mary Gaylord's face. Behind the knife was an expression of fury. You want a piece of her? How about an ear? That one. 
Shut up, Eddie said, a sweep of his left arm shoving the girl to the side roughly. Then he was all smiles again, for Mary. You know what we're going to do now, doll? You and all of us? Mary squirmed as the girl with the knife again stepped closer. Me too, she said with a malicious laugh. What the fuck is this story? The audacity of this writer's... Me too, she said with a malicious laugh. If you like chili, but you last. Everybody thought that was funny. Everybody but Mary. And somebody else. Suddenly the laughing stopped. Get away from her. The voice wasn't loud, but it had the weight of lead. Its effect was to turn all eyes toward him, including Mary's. She knew him by the raincoat. It was the man she had been trying to catch. He moved swiftly, realizing that the lack of sound meant the girl's passage through the park had been interrupted, and realizing that interruption could mean only one thing. He ran back the way he had come, his trigger finger ready to blast at anything that moved which wasn't a black girl dressed in a fur coat. It had been their voices, hushed but loud enough, which had brought him to them. He had fully expected to find the girl nothing more than a corpse. He was relieved to find one of them talking to her. He enjoyed their startled turns and the looks of fear which crossed their faces. He also enjoyed the sudden change of expressions, from fear to wily craftiness, as they looked at him and then at the knives they carried. His own weapon was now in his trench coat pocket. Get the mother, one of them said. The tone of voice was deadly, but it was also something else. And that something else caused Madden two seconds, which might have been vital. The speaker was a girl. (laughs) How dare she? What? Was this very surprising to readers in the 70s that girls are criminals? Like, what's the... I guess. The speaker was a girl. They were almost on him when his gun cleared his pocket, much too close. His first shot caught the biggest one square in the throat. His second was taken by the center chest of another, but not before that one collided into Madden, his knife hand missing Madden's face, but his forearm slamming into the stitches in his cheek. Madden felt the sharp pain as they pulled, felt the warm passage of blood. Of the two animals left... The female had turned to run. He's really on like full nature channel with that. His third shot caught her in the back of the head. And she dropped in a clumsy half cartwheel. Tiger? Tigress? What was the difference? They all were of the jungle. They all used their claws. And now to the last of them. So he shot... A teenager in the back of the head as they ran away. Yes, he did. And now to the last of them, who stood there, his hands above his head, hands above his head, and grinning. Okay, man, you from the 2-2, right? Madden at first didn't understand. Then he remembered that there was a police precinct station in the park at about 86th, the 22nd precinct. The kid was still talking. Okay, I I ain't giving you no trouble. No trouble at all. That black girl there will have to testify to that. I know my rights, Mr. Policeman. You gotta take me in. But before I say anything more, you gotta tell me my lawful rights. The grin widened as Madden walked forward. Reaching down, he took one of the switchblades and cut the kerchief from the girl's face. He pulled her to her feet. Think. Forget it, Madden said. And I mean it. Forget it. All of it. Then he turned to the grinning kid. I have to make this quick, he said. Quick or slow, Fuzz. You gotta tell me my rights. Madden nodded. Okay, you've got the right to remain silent. Then Madden put a bullet right between the kid's eyes. Mary Gaylord waited alone with the dead a full minute before she began screaming her head off. End of chapter 15. They're the first, like, criminals, other than the ones that killed Madden's uh, Madden's wife, um, 
the first criminals that like were doing some like legitimate full-on bad guys yeah they were about to do something really terrible yeah this uh clockwork orange level yeah team of uh of uh lunatic youth real shady characters but the problem is is like well yeah but like you also pointed out over and over that they were kids so kids yeah once again i'm just really not sure what vj wants us to experience when it comes to rooting for or being happy about joe's behavior because i mean of course they they these were villainous characters they were about to do something or maybe several awful things so we we're we're glad that it was stopped but also reading about kids getting shot in the back of the head is a horrible experience too so i I, he's i can't enjoy that i'm not i don't feel like there's a righteousness here that that justice we're supposed to though uh, the fact that this that it did not turn out to be the group from the subway, mm-hmm. it, it, it just for me is like, well, there, there's no there's no tethering to this narrative. Like it's just it, now it's just it's just random. His character doesn't give four fucks about her. Yeah, he he he. She was she was like a bait to him. Um, yeah, and, and he left her there, and he was rude to her and he he slaughtered all these kids in front of her and then just left her with the corpses so he doesn't care about her he just saw that she was an opportunity for him to be able to kill it yeah. really hit something on the head there that that his that he's got bloodlust and he's he's finding ways to satiate that bloodlust but he doesn't have a care or a love for people and that is part of what makes him so fucking disgusting yeah as you guys have always said if the writing was a bit more sophisticated or perhaps a lot more sophisticated we might be able to read this and interpret this as something that's really examining um the dangers and darkness of individuals who think that they need to take the law into their own hands like those pictures of people we see standing by black lives matters rallies with machine guns in their hands you know that they're not heroes um but they Mm -hmm. feel like joe perhaps that that they can help clean up the streets uh if it was a smarter book maybe i'd feel like we were reading a book that was actually trying to examine the inside of that but i I gave up on that a couple chapters ago. I, I really don't think that sophistication's there. Wondering about who's ingesting in perspective. And um, uh, was it Kyle Rittenhouse, the kid who shot up yeah. uh, um, the protests? Um, he has celebrity uh, funding um, to, to, for his defense. He, he was Whoa. able to raise millions of dollars um, to, to to get to get a good defense team to get him off the hook and to, and and he is truly championed by a, a large group of, of people as the hero of that story so someone could read what we just read or 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 see that scene and and go yeah he is a hero i guess and that that scares me is this the end of the book no no no, oh, no. let's so oh, okay. so let's uh, there's like we have four pages left chapter he 16 he hasn't gotten vengeance yet no there's been no eye for an eye. He hasn't gotten revenge at all. No. So here's the last chapter of the Vigilante and Eye for an Eye, chapter 16. Hi there. Sorry to interrupt. I'm sure you're very anxious to hear the last four pages of this <laughs> wonderful book. But I need to take a moment to say something that's very important to me. As you may not know, I'm also the editor of this show, which means I get to have the last word. So fuck you, Drew and Farron. Fuck you so hard. Support me, and only me, at fuckdrewandfarron.com. Jesus, Joe! I didn't know you got messed up. Hal Crosby shut his open mouth. Madden knew what the rest of it was going to be. Two. Just one word, but Hal couldn't say it. He let him off the hook. I'm afraid so, Hal. He grasped the hand which now was dangling uneasily before his co-worker. Let's not talk about it, okay? Hal looked more than relieved. Oh, okay, Joe. But he couldn't take his eyes off the left side of Madden's face. It had had the same effect on Mrs. Green, the vampire receptionist who for a moment forgot what drawer his second key was in. Also, Jill, his secretary, had been startled by it. He had smiled at her. You'll get used to it, he said. It did look ugly. Uglier than hell. The tearing loose of the mending job last night was far from complete, but it had made his face look much less pretty than it had been. There hadn't been much blood, not as much as he'd imagined, so he'd let it go. 
He'd see a doctor today or tomorrow and get done what could be done. Hal ushered him right into Chilton's office, then left, uneasily mumbling that he'd see Madden later. Chilton stood and firmly shook Madden's hand. His eyes, too, focused on Madden's face, but neither they nor his expression indicated that he was looking at anything unusual. He said nothing about it. Uh, Joe, uh, I'm glad you're here. Sit down. Uh, coffee? No, thanks. And now Madden felt uncomfortable as he sat, his eyes looking toward the door Hal had closed behind him. Chilton sat on the edge of his desk, facing Madden. It'll pass, Joe. With them, I mean. Them? Chilton nodded. Them. Hal and the others, your friends here. Believe me, it's more awkward for them this morning than it is for you. Think about it. Their friend and co-worker has lost his wife in horrible circumstances. <laughs> Our sophisticated urban society hasn't yet developed the appropriate rituals for expressing the recognition of such a loss. Therefore, everyone is ill at ease. Think about it. Objectively, and I think you'll agree that I'm right. Has he been drinking? <laughs> yeah, moonshine. <laughs> He's just, just straight moonshine. But can you tell me where the coyotes are? Ooh, that, that in the mine. <laughs> mine coyotes. Madden didn't much want to think about it, but he didn't want to argue. He simply nodded back to his employer. Then, because he was expected to say something, he did. How long? Chilton shrugged. Uh, the unease? A week? Two, maybe? Or maybe longer? It all depends on them. And on you. I think, though, there's a way to shorten the time considerably. I also think that the way I have in mind would do you some good. I have no doubt that it would be to the f firm's advantage. He paused sex, then. Sex, 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 And sex. then he pulled out his wiener. <laughs> but he said he, that. Why did Chilton say that? <laughs> he started narrating and his own action. And then he pulled out his wiener. And then Chilton crossed the room with his pepeca out. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> he paused then. Los Angeles. Madden repeated the name of the city, not comprehending. Chilton sighed. <sighs> the brothers Grossman. You remember them, I think. Some things you don't forget, Madden said. Chilton started to laugh. <laughs> then thought better of it. Ooh. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the almost jumps of laughs. Then... Laughed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like this. Hal is against it, but I, I think we've got to do something to help out our favorite printing firm. It's got to be on site, which means... Which means you want me to go to L.A. As soon as you can. First, though, he looked at Madden's face, the stitches are due out today or tomorrow. If you can recommend a good doctor. Chilton not only did, he had the man's office on the telephone within two minutes. An appointment was set up for the following afternoon. When the connection was broken, he smiled at Madden. Shall I have Sally book your flight for Wednesday morning? Madden sat on the edge of his bed and looked at the face of his new watch. It was a cheap silver-colored thing. He didn't want one that would remind him of the last timepiece he'd owned. 8.30, the hands said. 8.30, in New York. L.A. Chilton. <laughs> Those are three full sentences on their own. <laughs> 8.30, in New York. L.A. Chilton. The old man had Madden's interests at heart. A change of scene was supposed to do a morning man good. Then, too, the job there was probably right. 
If anything could take a man's mind off himself, it was the brothers Grossman, their personalities and their problems. Also, the old man probably was right about the beneficial effect of his absence upon the others in the office. Joe Madden would be back. His memos and cables would be coming in, a part of the office routine. When he returned, it would be a return from an ordinary business trip. Nothing more. It would be like any of them returning from a trip. How'd it go? How'd it really go? And how were the broads out there? No, they probably wouldn't ask Joe Madden about the broads. Not this time, anyway. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's a madman. Chilton, New York, Los Angeles. Broads? No. Shave. Bacon. <laughs> it's a word association <laughs> for the rest of the book. L.A., Los Angeles, the city of the angels. Except that it wasn't. The city was as nasty as the job he'd find waiting for him there. A city just as dirty and as much of the jungle as New York. And, that being the case, he was mildly surprised to find that he was fondling his penis. No, his... <laughs> <laughs> mildly. Imagine being mild. Oh, oh, hello. Okay. Let's oh, doing it again. Oh, well, all right. Good morning. I guess we're doing this. Oh, Excuse be... me, miss. Can I do this here? Must be 2021. I'm hard. <laughs> <laughs> he was mildly surprised to find that he was fondling the 38. As he looked up from it, his eyes found his reflection in the mirror facing the bed. He was not surprised at the smile his reflection returned to him. He stood and reached for his trench coat, the revolver still in his hand. He was going to the opposite side of the continent on Wednesday. That left him two more nights in Manhattan. He was determined to put them to good use. End of book. a creepy fucking ending it's just setting up a sequel that's that's yeah. what the whole ending is about there's also no ending no there's no there nothing fucking ending yeah you also he never mentioned his wife again we know more about mary gaylord and her partner alex brent also the return of the the fucking second key to the office that his secretary oh, yeah. holds also that he changed her to being a vampire yeah she before what was that her to sort of as a larger woman who, yeah, ate her husband. Ha ha. <laughs> that's not what vampires do. They don't eat people. Well, I guess. Well, actually, that's well, the exact definition kind of, of what they do. You idiot. They don't. They drink their blood. She's yeah, a zombie. Yeah, I mean, you're consuming, they're consuming them. Why did he go into that detail of, like, the multiple keys that are required? Because I remember predicting 100 years ago when we started this horrendous book that like that was gonna somehow have to come into play because why the fuck would you even so, talk about it so many things established by this writer came to nothing and above and beyond all of it is that fucking prologue oh my god became nothing it was nothing i mean i'm not surprised but i'm pissed like i know a lot of people or at least a few who tuned into our podcast to catch that that disturbing prologue who were turned away from the book, I think, and maybe from our podcast as a result. I, I don't know how we let them know that it doesn't factor into anything. <laughs> we easily could have never included the prologue and just read the chapter one. And, and but the fact, problem is that we continually talk about the prologue. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, we so thought it meant we wanted to mean something. It's like wanting 2020 to mean something. We give it... Uh, it's it, we're trying to label it to give it significance. Otherwise, that's just a, a grotesque opening. It's a very, very horrible thing to read for no reason at all. 180 pages of Vijay Santiago's New York and Eye for an Eye. Um, do you like Joe Madden? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was one of my first questions for you. Two, it was. And I wondered how you feel now. Do you hate Joe Madden? I, I think I hate Joe Madden. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. He's a lunatic. There's a, 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 I'll post this on, the, uh, on, our, on our socials. There's a cover to this book, which we've never shared. 
Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's not a drawing. It's a real human being. Uh, And I'm very curious, this, this same individual also shows up on the second book. So this model, I would like, who is this man? And there's so much of me that wants to believe it's Vijay Santiago posed for his own (laughs) book. Uh, But we'll share, I'll share the cover uh, with everybody because one of the big things that everyone loves about these kinds of books too is the the, the covers and the drawing kind of trashy that. covers yeah so i'll share this but maybe we can find out maybe someone out there knows who this person is i'm sure this was an actor or a model or something like it's um, yeah maybe he's a very interesting Fantastic. looking type so the so after idiot. having read all this book i didn't want to share this photo of the of the cover earlier on because i wanted people to picture their own joe madden but there is a there is an image there is an image of joe it's a real human being okay whether or not we like joe did Vijay Santiago create an interesting character? I mean, I, I was never bored, um, but I was yeah. uh, disturbed. And I don't know if that's enough. He was a bit one note, too. I guess just because I didn't particularly enjoy the, the writing of it or, or the character development of Joe Madden, I just didn't, I couldn't latch on to his, his experience and, and see things through his eyes. And that's a hard thing to follow around a protagonist that... Um, you just can't get on board with, even if you don't like them. It's okay. There's lots of great anti-heroes out there that are difficult to like. But you can still spend the story uh, seeing things through their perspective and, and find the value in it. And I just don't. I don't with Joe. It looked like going back, I think that prologue is wasted space. It could have started with a flashback to the war or something that sets you up for this guy who's just about to crack if one thing happens. Do you think that in future books he's going to find... Uh, Sarah's killer. Well, unless they go to L.A. with him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, our second. I guess that's our, our true. second book is the vigilant. The, the second, I should say, we have a very big conversation to have. The second book in this series is called the Vigilante Los Angeles Detour to a Funeral. So I gotta open. I'm gonna open up this subject. This is a big, uh, and I don't think there needs to be any answers today. But uh, we have some questions. <laughs> facing us um which uh you know i think it's okay to make it a public conversation but um what do we do next what are we going to read um we have the we have the the opportunity to read um the vigilante part two uh detour to a funeral i'm open to the idea of walking away from the vigilante series and i'm also open to the idea of of suggestions from our from our fans. Hey, all you vigilantes out there listening to our show. Um, we are at the end of our first book, our first season, and help us know what our next step is. Um, do you, listener, um, want to hear the second part in this series? Does that have an interest for you? Or would you be open to us uh, trying out a new writer and a new book and something else? So let us know if you're dying to find out what happens with Joe in L.A., uh, or if you could give two shits, so drop us an email or twit, twi- twitty, twitty, tweet, tweet, drop us an email or twitty, twitty. So drop us an email or uh, send us a message on Twitter or Instagram and let us know what you think. Uh, do we continue the wild and horrifying journey of Joe Madden or do we find other waters? And also, I want to say that we, um, we want to keep in touch with you. And so... Uh, if you want to join our mailing list, we will be letting you know when any special episodes come out or when we uh, bring back our second season so that you can keep up to date on everything. So you can email us at vigilantebookclub at gmail.com. We'll add you to a little email list, and then we won't email you very often at all unless it's super interesting. We promise. Um, we, we're, we did it. We're done. We did it. Yeah. We did it. God, what a journey. Yeah, huge. I feel like I learned some stuff about myself. Having these conversations with y'all every week has been really insightful for me. I, you know, I, we've been friends, the three of us, for a while, and we've always had these sorts of conversations, even without microphones in front of our face, uh, in front of our faces. But it, this encouraged that we that we kind of push ourselves a little bit to talk about talk to to speak frankly about other things. And I, I'm I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to miss it. I, I can't wait till we get back to it. Uh, I, I I'm not taking my clothes off with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know what? It's uh, it's uh, it to me. It seems ludicrous <laughs> to be on an audio program and be like, "So I'm naked now." That's what I think is so brilliant about it. But I, to be honest, I have to, I want to confess something. But when I suggested it, and I still love this idea. I, 
I think it would be a beautiful thing to do. Um, I want to tell you, though, that I record from my office, and I don't know where I can be naked here. Right, I, legally. I, <laughs> there are yeah. cameras. I, I don't know. We'd have to, I'd have to take my whole computer setup into the bathroom or something, okay. and then there'd be a fan. Here's, here's so. my promise to make sure that Farron doesn't get arrested <laughs> through this process <laughs> of uh, taking his clothes off at his office. Um, uh, today... At some point, um, I uh, will find myself uh, in front of my full-length mirror, nude, and I will raise a glass to you both, to my own reflection. I will absolutely do this. I mean, I was going to do it anyway and toast myself, Because that's, that's how I go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I end the yeah. day, yeah. <laughs> Cheers, you beautiful bastard. You did it again. <laughs> you did it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I, it, I'm not taking my clothes off as we record, but later today, I, I, will, uh, I will toast you uh, nude in front of the mirror to this whole I show. I want to hear Drew say it. I want to hear Drew promise me that he's going to get naked later and toast himself in the, in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I promise. I'm going to do it. To everyone who's gone on this journey with us, thank you for, for joining us in this weird-ass book and this experiment into a form that we've never done before. We think we did an okay job. And um, and thank you for all the emails and messages and encouragement and pranks. Your relationship to our friendship and our program has really been a light. Having this show uh, thrown into the world and having people write back and say that they like it and that it's um, meaningful to them has given us the meaning that we lost. So thank you very much. I have nothing else to say to you two. I've said it all for now. I've got something I'd like to say. I, I want to say something. You do? Okay, do it. Yeah, it better be fucking amazing. Yeah, you better fucking cap this season off like, Mwah. no pressure. I love you guys. Gross. <laughs> Bang. Well, that's it. The end of our first book and first season. Thank you to everybody who came along on this journey with us. We really would like to hear your opinion on what our next book should be. So please email us at vigilantebookclub at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Club Vigilante. We'd really appreciate it if you tell everybody about the show. But if you don't feel like that, you could just send us money and we can hire a marketing person. The Vigilante Book Club will return with a second season.